Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 82 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I am your host, Kofi Outlaw, and with me today I have my co-host, Matthew Aguilar. What up? And today we are stacking the deck with our comicbook.com gaming department. We have the head man over there, Mr. Roland Bishop, is back with us. Hello, hello. Always happy to be here. And, of course, the Lancelot to his King Arthur, Mr. Tanner Deadman, is with us. Hello. It's good to be back. And today we brought Rollin and Tanner together for a head-to-head review. One of these men has played the Xbox Series X. One of these men has played PlayStation 5. And now they are coming together to give you a dual review of these new next-gen consoles. So by the time you're hearing this, they should be, uh, the embargo should be up, right? Yeah, it's November 10th. So, mm. And then release date is coming fast at us. But you can get the early kind of review and lowdown on what each system offers from two of our best gaming guys. And uh, yeah, make you help, help hopefully make you make an informed decision. The second one in as many weeks uh, as we try to figure out which console best defines you for the next few years. So that's going to be our main event today, the PS5 versus Xbox Series X review segment. But we got other things to talk about. We got a new look at Marvel's Eternals that we're going to get into. Something new or something that could be coming back, rather, to the Star Wars universe. We got to talk about Chris Nolan's analysis of how the game is going in the movie game. And we got some, of course, comic reviews. We're going to check back in with X-Men's Ten of Swords. Plus, we got to see the Avengers moving on to their next big threat. They got a big war coming their way, and we are going to talk about all of that. And Matt is going to break down a preview of AEW's latest pay-per-view event. So we got some wrestling, too. A little bit of everything today. Yeah, a little bit of everything. I love smorgasbord episodes. But, uh, yeah, we got to get to a lot, so let's start at the top. Marvel's Eternal. So things are kind of really quiet on the Marvel front right now as uh, we try to figure out what's going on with COVID and exactly when this thing that has now become a heavy anchor around Kevin Feige's neck, which is trying to schedule a uh, interconnected universe across a pandemic. Um, yeah, it's been interesting. We should have been getting Eternals right about now. And uh, yeah, didn't happen. So, wah, wah. 2020. <laughs> I was waiting for like the, the next part, but no, that's just sad. But uh, uh, we're just been so we've been monitoring leaks and things that have been going on around the interwebs that are giving us at least giving us a little bit of life on what's going on with these new Marvel films. And that includes getting a new look at Eternals and the team, which is probably our coolest. I mean, I mean, oh, this is a leak. It's not official. Uh, but this artwork is probably our coolest look yet at this team, even though they're faceless, which I love. Um you know, their faces have been scrubbed, and this is promo art of the uh, cast of the Eternals in full costume and kind of their Marvel superhero posings. Um, 
but it looks pretty cool. Uh, it's on comicbook.com Marvel and you should check it out. And like I said, it, it's probably our kind of coolest look yet, in my opinion, at, at what this film will be and kind of the unique flavor that it will offer. And you can see which of the, this is a very stacked cast. I mean, if you haven't, if you didn't remember, Marvel's Eternals was a thing. It is a thing. And it's probably their most, if not one of the most outside of an Avengers movie, like stacked casts yet. Certainly their most stacked cast for a franchise launch, I would argue. We got Angelina Jolie as Dina, Richard Madden as Icarus, Kamal Nanjani as Kingo. Yeah, oh, I mean, Brian Terry Henry as Fasto, Selma Hayek as Ajax, or as Ajax. Um, yeah, and it goes on. Kit Harrington will be the Black Knight. And you can see where each of these kind of major actors, for the most part, fits in, including uh, uh, my homegirl from The Walking Dead. Uh, what's her name? Uh, I forget her name. Uh, Lauren Ridoff. And yeah, you, so you can see kind of where they're going to fit into each of their costumes. And like I said, this just kind of gives you an idea of what actually makes this like a Marvel film. If you're not familiar with the Eternals, this is probably the first piece of promo anything that we've gotten that makes you be like, oh, okay, I can see how this fits in. I mean, it, it looks basically like a, if you're not a Marvel kind of insider and if you were just kind of coming to this, it looks like another version of Asgardians or something in that same yeah. kind of aesthetic mm -hmm. and tone. Um, which is what you want to kind of, I mean, it just so it could tell people without telling people much. Yeah. we got more cosmic powered Asgardian type godlike people coming our way. So you're way higher on this than I thought you would be. I'm not going to lie. I, I was expecting full on pessimism from you when I saw this in the show notes. No, uh, I mean, I haven't been, I'm not as sold on uh, Eternals. You know, I'm not Jim Viscardi. I'm not like enamored with Eternals <laughs> right off the bat. I'm not picking this as my number one for phase four. And it's, but it's, I mean, to be fair, that mostly had to do with the fact that we really, like, literally, this is probably the Marvel movie that I've seen, like, that, that like, it's been the hardest to picture or even just to kind of put in mind as, as how it fits into this franchise, yeah. what it's going to be, what it's going to look like. Like, I can imagine Shang-Chi. Like, we've talked about it. Like, yeah. I imagine a kung fu movie on, on Marvel crack, right? Like, so. Yeah. So that oh, kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, I just don't care. I don't, you know, I feel so bad. I feel so bad. It's wow. not, it's not the cast though. The cast, you went through the whole cast lineup and that's the best part about this movie because I don't care about anything because we don't know anything else. And these characters are like, just not my bag. So, and, and I feel like there's a lot, of, even like big Marvel fans and like comic fans who are like, they, these really are a question mark for a lot of people. So like, I just, I don't know, a faceless poster ain't gonna, isn't gonna well, sway me. I, yeah, I screwed up the show notes, but there was another link I was supposed to put in there, which were some of the uh, details that came along with some of this promo art. There was a second spade, you know, page. Um, and it says, it was a big brief synopsis of the movie that again, unofficial, but here's where it says, here are the Eternals. They're extraterrestrial immortal species that come from a faraway planet who arrived on earth thousands of years ago. These superheroes have protected humanity since the dawn of time. The Eternals possess incredible strength and the power to fly. Some of them even have other additional powers coming in 2021. The return of the Deviants, a race of alien predators, pushes the Eternals to unite their powers. Working as a team, they can save the world. So it sounds like, I mean, again, unofficial, but it, I mean, this is not unexpected because the Deviants are, you know, the main yeah. antagonist of the Eternals. But um, it is kind of a cool look that it sounds like the Eternals will probably be kind of spread out. This will be like kind of a getting the band back together. Uh, Ocean's Eleven for Immortals. Seven of yeah. the Marvel Universe. Yeah. No Denzel. And, 
You should have yeah. called it a Marvel Ocean's Eleven at the beginning. That would have you would have talked me into it if you did that. Yeah, that's right? a good idea. <laughs> and like, yeah, they got to get the band back together because the deviants have resurfaced and and you know in some form or fashion, and then we get history and all that stuff. But again, I mean, I am with you on as in terms of like how this matters and why I'm compelled to care about this particular story. I, I'm not sold on that yet. I was just happy to have an aesthetic thing I can grab onto at least. That that's that's yeah. a first. We're hey, it's like, people. Yeah. It's real. <laughs> they don't have faces, hey, but I like the shine of those guys, <laughs> I too. like them. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so this was just a kind of PSA to remind you. Marvel's Eternal, still a thing. Still happening. Still that happening. needs to be the tagline for the movie. It's, it's still, still happening. happening. Still yeah. a thing. <laughs> well, I mean, if they have any, like, any kind of wit in them, there's plenty of jokes to be made about, like, how you can try to kill things off, but they're eternal. And they like they always come back and they bounce back and they can wait a year. What's a year to an eternal? Like you know, eternal. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, that needs to happen. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. So, how long have you been go. holding on to that one, Kofi? Yeah. Uh, about thirty <laughs> seconds. Uh, none of my ideas are refined. I, I don't have time. I'm kind of an in the moment, forgetting the moment type guy. Uh, keep it fluid, like memento. Anyway, let's move right along. So that's Eternals. You can see that artwork and story details on comicbook.com. Marvel. Back over to the Star Wars universe to other things that aren't so popular in popular franchises. Solo. Let's talk Solo, Star Wars. Um, Ron Howard was uh, kind of uh, doing a podcast recently, and he kind of alluded to the fact that while there are, and let's be clear, no official plans for Solo 2. Yeah, so I'm sorry to the Solo 2 movement. This is not that update. Um, Is there a movement? Oh, yeah. There's a movement? Yeah, there's a solo. There's two- dozens of us. Release yeah. that <laughs> you wouldn't know about it, Matt. It's underground. Release yeah. the Han cut. Yeah. yeah. Oh god. No. Um. Yeah. No. You. I mean, it is. It's a modest movement. It's no. It's not like. It can't uh, be called yeah. a movement. It's yeah. a shuffle. <laughs> but um. Yeah. They they do exist. So this is not that update. But uh, what Ron Howard says is no rumblings though. This is not a spoiler or anything. But there is interest in those characters. I think there's interest in the gangster world somewhere down the line, but I can assure you there's nothing being developed right now for a movie or Disney plus. Uh, but one great thing is there has been a lot of affection for solo. So of course that keeps voting well for them to eventually turning it around. So what he's kind of alluding to is that, you know, what we have already speculated would happen. Probably there are elements about solo that were kind of fun and really worked. And you'll probably see them kind of cross over into other star Wars projects, uh, which is cool with me. I think, I put this in there and I put in the show notes. Solo's actually grown on me in the time since all the pressure of all these Star Wars standalones and can you even do anything besides episodes? And then we saw how crappy episodes could get. And we we're like, yeah, we'll take any good ideas at this point or any just halfway fun ideas. Like it grows on you after that. So uh, I wanted to see more of that world continue. I didn't think it ever needs to be like a solo two necessarily. Like, I don't know how much more we can expand on Han Solo's story. Uh, but, um, yeah, but like a, like a Disney Plus show that's like Underworld. Yeah. Where it's just all that stuff that's interesting. Yeah, and we've been just, hearing rumblings of, in different forms of this. We've been hearing words that, that uh, things like um, the Dark Maul character, who was the combination of Ray Park and Sam uh, Whitworth, uh, with, you know, could also show up in other live action product or projects down the line. There's been talk of things like um, Kira and, you know, that whole crime syndicate she's part of showing up. Enfys Nest has 
uh, you know, always been rumored to get some kind of more exposure in the franchise down the line. And of course, just the main kind of, combina- of combination of people, Alden Einrich as Han Solo and um, Donald Glover as Lando and of course, Chewbacca, that they could pop up in, in all kinds of other places in, in you know, any kind of storyline set in that era to kind of explore, which would be uh, cool, man. I mean, I'd be cool with that. Because like I said, I don't think you need a solo too, but I think a lot of the people in solo do not get enough credit for, for the jobs they did. I think Alden Einrich did a pretty good job. The more I, you know, as I watch more of that, you know, he did a pretty good job doing Han Solo. That's not, that was like a thankless task for anybody. And he did a pretty good job just kind of making that just passably fun at the very least. Same with Donald Glover as Lando. Glover was Um, great. Yeah. And just, there were just a lot of good people in that movie. Woody Harrelson as Beckett was great. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, you know, that breakout role as her as L337, you know. I can't think of her anymore. Even like Sandy Newton for the five minutes she was in it was pretty good. And Paul Petty was a pretty surprisingly good villain. So, yeah, you know, and it just kind of did open the door to what, while it got confused in the whole Han Solo having to explain the castle run and doing all that crap, like just the parts of it that were just centered on this is what it's like dealing in the Star Wars underworld was were kind of fun, so. Yeah, I would love to see more of that kind of continue. And uh, anybody else? Is anybody here secretly a solo stand? I like I like I like the idea of getting all kinds of different Star Wars movies, like you know, uh, like spinouts. You know, focus on so many different characters because because the universe is so rich. If Solo, even if Solo did so so, you could think they could expand it more. I say ah, that but dropping rap beat hot lyrics no. over there. <laughs> I say that, <laughs> but I but I also I told myself I was going to go see a Solo. I was like that looks really good, and then I didn't go see it. So like, <laughs> it sounds like a good idea, but I don't know if I would actually go see it. You know, it'd have to be the right character. No, no, which, I think. Yeah, we've been um, talking on the show about like how, you know, I think a lot of these studios are figuring out, and we've said this over and over again about HBO Max, about Disney Plus, about Marvel, about Star Wars, is they're really beginning to figure out that using streaming opens up a whole new lane of content possibility or things that were impossible in movies. Like nobody's paying for a Solo 2 movie. No. Like, nobody's putting up the bill. <laughs> Not even, no chic, nobody is putting up, you know, that money, but a Disney plus mini series or event series that brings back those characters in that world. You know, that's a different proposition. You know what I mean? So yeah, we're going to keep an eye on that because uh, like I said, I'd like to see more of that world in that era of the star world, star Wars live action world kind of can universe continue. So we'll keep an eye on that. Moving on over to movies, Chris Nolan. So Chris Nolan tried to be the canary in the coal mine this year and send his baby tenant out into uh, theaters and then to kind of reinvigorate the theater movie theater industry after the COVID-19 pandemic and the lockdowns and such. And maybe he thought he could walk it back if it didn't go well, but uh, that's a tenant joke for, for the three of you who saw it. Well, um, well it's good. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the movie is good. It's so, so solo. Yeah, I know. But I'm, it was not, good. I'm not spitting that hot fire, but uh <laughs> Tenant earned $350 million, which is low for a Nolan film, typically. Um, but Nolan's been out, and there's been a lot written about it, about how that, you know, everything from it's proof the industry's not ready to be back yet to Tenant actually hurt the industry by causing the belief that it could come back and then forcing it to close down and spend all that money on expenses again before it just fizzled out. Um, but Nolan's actually getting out and talking about that 
in making his case that people are not necessarily looking at this the right way and spinning it the right way. And basically the long short of what he's saying is what he fears is happening and seems to be happening around Tenet is that people are examining movies through the old kind of paradigms of profitability when we lived in a kind of time when, you know, like, yes, a movie was expected to earn this much amount if it was a blockbuster for open weekend. But this was in a world where people packed into movie theaters, you know, back to back and cineplexes back to back to back to back on opening weekends to see big blockbusters. Whereas now we're living in a much different paradigm where, you know, we got to start to maybe have some real conversations of, Throughout 2020, we've been saying, like, this is, we've been looking at this like there's some magical end date, right? Like, we're going to be back in theaters when we get to here. And it seems, I think, we've all kind of come to the point where that's all much more murky. And the entire question of, like, will society ever rubber band back to where we were again is a very kind of crazy one. Um, I don't right now feel like myself or people I know around me or anybody I know will ever feel as comfortable just going and packing into a movie theater like you used to again for this rest of this lifetime. Um, and so what Nolan's basically arguing, and this is kind of a good debate topic that I wanted to pick your brains about is do we need to start shift from saying things like tenant making $350 million is a failure to like beginning to remeasure the metric for what success is in the theatrical industry or is that just loser talk what do you think matt <laughs> loser talk uh i i think he makes some some really good points like i actually liked his his thing about that there is no magic end date and that we do need to shift things from okay well we're going to keep pushing it to when things are okay again and everything will go back to making a billion dollars through the traditional means and through the theaters and all that to this like, hey, movies aren't, we're going to have to change the model because movies in their traditional form of like being in a theater for a couple months are not going to draw the same crowds because the crowds obviously don't want to be all together in the same place because people need to distance. So like all those things you need to factor in now, either they need to be in movie theaters longer or a deal needs to be worked out to maybe like theaters get a certain cut of like the video demand. Like I agree, there are things that, we need to shift the thinking because it's not just going to magically go back to the way it was. However, I do find it weird that he's saying it. It's, it's, it's a little odd to me that like the dude that was like very much like this movie can't be seen in anything but a, but a theater and really needs to be seen on an IMAX. And um, I want it to have like the traditional, like you, you can't see it a different way. It's important for theaters. And then, the studio that's releasing it kind of screws theaters over because they require so much of their earnings in their own pockets and kind of screwed the theaters willing to open up for it. Like there's a lot of like hypocrisy in this, <laughs> I feel like. And so it's weird coming from him. I feel like the messenger is not great, but some of the things he's saying are actually on point. Yeah. Look, it's not loser talk. It's sore loser talk. Like this, these are all conversations that were happening before Tenet came out of like, you need to reconsider your whole launch plan and what you think success is going to be. And then sure enough, Tenet comes out and, oh, we need to reconsider our launch plan and what success <laughs> might be. You think, Christopher Nolan? Is, you think that now? 
okay, all right, well, now that you've said it, yes, that is what we will do going forward. Thank you, Mr. Nolan. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. And the cynical part of me, I mean, knows you're partially right. But I mean, I think it is fair. Uh, I don't punish people for hard lessons learned. As a learner of hard lessons, often myself, I don't punish people for hard lessons learned. Like, I'm not going to rail the man for for turning around his position after being the guy that put his baby out there <laughs> and fell on his face. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he tried it. He He tried to toe that hopeful line. And now, yeah, he's, I mean, he knows more than anybody probably. But right. I'm not blaming him for that. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just saying, but I'm yeah. just saying, like, I give them a pass. I give them a slight eye roll instead of an entire eye roll by hearing this because I'm like, <laughs> it's okay. Like, it's fair for you to have fallen on your face and then actually stand up and, and say the message. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Yes, 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 yes. But to eat crow, you got to actually eat the crow. You can't pretend like you've been all about that life. Agreed. Until, like... It, the, the message is like Christopher Nolan going, yeah, guys, this is, this is how it should be. When in reality, he should be like, yeah, I messed up. Like my push for this was not good. And my methods were not great. Like that's, that's learning your lesson. And it doesn't really come across to me. Like he has learned that lesson. Well, no, I mean, this is, I mean, I say this all within the paradigm of business, like politics. I think we're all going to find out. Uh, yeah, that doesn't really happen. Uh, people don't really actually eat the crow. I mean, there's entire seminars about how to apologize without admitting guilt in like business. That is a seminar. So I don't think that is because Warner says we're very pleased with the results of Tenet. You know, <laughs> like, what are they supposed to say? <laughs> exactly. That's my whole point. They're ne- you're never, <laughs> you're never going to get them to say you dirty, dirty liar. You dirty, dirty liars. You messed up. You did it. You screwed this up. Like that doesn't happen. I've tried. I've yelled it. It doesn't work. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so yeah, we are going to have to rethink things. Um, and ironically it, it, it's been written about already, but ironically it's looking more and more like the paradigms of the past are the ones that are going to make a resurgence, which is alternative kind of theater viewing options like drive-ins and longer runs of movies. Because when I was coming up in like the eighties and and this was all true, until the uh, year of our Lord, 1999, where everything changed and blockbusters became the whole kind of soup du jour of the film industry. Like, yeah, you expected a movie to be in the theater for like a couple months. Like you weren't hard pressed. You were like, oh, have you seen so-and-so? It's like, oh no, I'll get to it. And I'll go maybe in a couple of weeks, I'll go see that and stuff. And like, we could do that with movies. Um, and it seems like we're gonna have to go back to that route because this whole like, yeah, pack everybody like sardines in that whole number like, gross number crunching which if you ever knew lived in new york city and seen this like it is a gross thing it is just like line them up herd them in squeeze them in get them in splash some cologne on the seats when they're gone and get the next ones in and it's just like yeah that that whole machine is gonna change like it, it can't go on like that because you know covid and covid 20 and other things that we might have to deal with so all right, that's it. Let us know what you think about that one. Hit us up at the hashtag Comic Book Nation. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to get into our deep dive, beginning with our PS5 versus Xbox Series X fight. Should we square up, Tanner? Hunger Games! <laughs> <laughs> So we're back. We are now coming out of 2020 and into the next generation of gaming. 
So we have in one corner the P PlayStation 5. In the other corner, the Xbox Series X. We have Rollin and Tanner from comicbook.com gaming. Rollin, you've spent some uh, quality time with the PS5. Tanner has spent some uh, quality time with the Xbox Series X. Let's see from each of you and give us a little mini review about what you think about each system, its strengths, and maybe some of its drawbacks, and then we'll have kind of a general conversation here. Let's start with PS5. Oh, all right. Because alphabetical order. That's fair. That's fair. That makes sense. Um, I mean, so PlayStation 5, pretty much exactly what you expect from a next-gen console. Things look better. They play better. They load better. Um, if you're familiar with the PlayStation 4's user interface, it's going to be very similar. You're not going to have a lot of trouble navigating. Big, big difference for this generation of the PlayStation is the DualSense controller. You've got haptic feedback that has been upgraded, which basically means a lot more rumble and uh, different aspects of that. In, in Miles Morales, for example, when you're on the subway, you can feel the train shifting and like rumbling along the tracks. Um, and then on, to on top of that, you've got the adaptive triggers, which actually can be responsive to you depending on, for example, uh, how hard you're pulling on the trigger, um, how much uh, is, is necessary. Like it can fight you back on these things. Um, so th those are the big like selling points for the PS5. Looks better, plays better, DualSense controller. On top of that, the PlayStation 5, as compared to its Xbox counterpart, does in fact have exclusive titles um, to the PlayStation 5. Oh, wow. <laughs> Listen, like, that's, that's the reality here is that uh, you compare these two things, you know, obviously I don't have hands-on time with the Xbox Series X, but when you compare the two at launch, you go, okay, Miles Morales, question mark? I don't like. I don't think there's anything exclusive to the Microsoft's stuff for launch. Um, big drawbacks. That thing is a chonker, y'all. Like it is. <laughs> it is big. It is awkwardly shaped. Um, you're gonna need to find a very specific place to put this. Like that. That's really what I see. Uh, on top of that, transferring stuff from the PS4 to the PS5 is not a super intuitive process. You can just like straight up unplug an external hard drive from your PS4 and plug it into the PS5, but not everything has opt optimized updates. Uh, you know, I was playing Dragon Age Inquisition on the PS5 earlier today, and that thing was a glitchy mess. It's a glitchy mess all the time, but like on PS5. Hey, hey. Inquisition's amazing. You leave it alone. Inquisition is very <laughs> near and dear to my heart, but it is a bit of a messy game, which is why I wanted to try it out on the PS5. You know, EA hasn't said anything about an update for that. So I was curious to see what that would sort of look like. And the answer is it looks better. It, it plays better in some instances, but it's also just kind of, you know, it's, it's a, a new console launch and stuff that isn't necessarily like on the approved list of like, this is absolutely going to look great on the PS5. Your, your mileage may vary. God of War, which is part of the PlayStation Plus collection uh, that is, you know, available to everyone that has PlayStation Plus that gets a PS5, looks and plays great. Like, of course it does. It's what they're putting, you know, their, their best foot forward. Um, so those are sort of the, the pros and cons of the PS5 as I see them. Do you think you could go back to playing on a PS4? Or would you? Oh, that's a tough one. Um... I think that there's probably going to be instances of games, like I said, Dragon Age Inquisition played fine on the PlayStation 4. I've put so many hours into that. Um, again, the save process 
transfer. There's like a whole support page fact of how to do it because it's so like involved. Um, I would probably continue playing that on the PlayStation four, but like for the most part, I think going forward, like, you know, as we get review codes and as I buy new games, I don't really see myself picking up more PlayStation four titles unless it's only available there. All right. That is PlayStation five Tanner. There was some smoke put out there. What do you got for the Xbox Series X? First of all, first of all, Kofi, you are dog whistling all the console war people when you're going to get them in here. And they're going to come find us on Twitter and they're going to be mad at us for this. So, <laughs> it's not a versus, it's just a comparison. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I've had the Xbox Series X for, um, I probably put in, I know I put in at least 25 hours into just one game alone. Um, and then I've spread it out throughout the rest. So this is coming from someone who's been like primarily a PS4 user. I think the only time I've ever turned on the Xbox One in the past couple of years was to play Gears 5 and to play uh, Minecraft Dungeons. And that's it. I didn't use the Xbox One at all other than that. Uh, but after using the Series X now, I have not turned on my PS4 in the entire, you know, how, however long I've had it for. I haven't turned it on because I think it's going to be really hard for anyone to go back to uh, the previous generation if you've been able to experience one of these new consoles. Uh, some of the things that Roland mentioned about the PS5 that I know is different about this. For one thing, I know everyone loved to compare this thing to a refrigerator and said it looked like a little fridge, but it's really not. This thing is a cute little console and it just fits right into wherever you want it to. It's a box. You know what I mean? Like it's just a box and wherever, you know, it's pretty like unobtrusive. It's not going to stand out a lot like the PS5. And, it, you know, so I didn't have any problem um, fitting it into, you know, the rest of my setup. Um, as far as the launch games, Roland did have a very good point. Um, the Xbox Series X does not really have many launch games to speak of. It's got, I think whenever they announced their lineup, they said they had 30 launch games, but those are like the Xbox Series X versions of what you were playing before. Um, so I think I talked about this in my review, but a lot of people, whenever you plug in that console, you're going to look at it and you're going to be, you know, you have these big expectations and you plug it in. You're like, all right, what am I going to play now? And then the answer, like for the most part, is going to be like the games you were already playing. That's what you were going to play. You're going to keep playing those. Um, I, we did get a couple of like, you know, some advanced titles to play them ahead of time. Like I've been playing the Yakuza Like a Dragon game, which they have the next gen version is exclusive to Xbox for a couple of months, I believe. And I've dumped a lot of time into that game. Um, but other than that, you know, you kind of just play those new games coming out, new third-party releases, and then you bounce back and forth between things like, you know, like PUBG, Gears 5, uh, Dead by Daylight. And um, a lot of those things that you play, that you can be playing is come from the Xbox Game Pass, which I think is a really big selling point of the, maybe not so much the Series X, maybe more the Series S. But um, I think a lot of people are going to find themselves relying on the Game Pass for the first maybe couple of months um, if you're not playing any third-party titles, which I think is an okay thing because Xbox has spent so long building that up that, you know, I mean, that, that's what it's there for. Um, beforehand, it was like an extra thing, and now it's just going to be like the thing that keeps you busy until then. So, um, yeah, the launch lineup, I was a little disappointed. You know, you turn it on, you're looking for something, you're like, I'm going to play, I don't I don't know, I'll play this, <laughs> and then I'll play that later when it comes out because they got good things coming, like Halo Infinite and Scorn and that new... Uh, uh, what's that game? Sanua's Saga um, yeah, coming yeah. out. But they're just going to take a while to come out. But if there's one thing it does have right now, like kind of like Roland mentioned, is the load times on the next generation consoles are absolutely amazing, which is one of the re main reasons why you can't go back to 
the old console, uh, whenever I was playing my games, I wrote down some numbers in preparation for this to show you how fast they load. So whenever <laughs> I was, um, when you turn off the Xbox, you can set it in like an instant on state to where it's like a low power mode, kind of like a rest mode. And whenever you boot back up the console from that, uh, I turned it on from the, from the time you hear the little Xbox go, and then it starts turning on. It took 2.14 seconds to turn on to where it was back in the main menu. And then I I think I had like exited out of the Yakuza game and, you know, just like closed completely, you know, to where it would like save where I was in the game. Um, so I turned back on the console and then I hit the Yakuza game to play that. And it took 3.58 seconds to load into the game, like right back on the streets, not to the main menu. Like you were already on the streets ready to play. So the whole thing took 5.72 seconds and then you're back in the game from That's the console amazing. being completely off. Um, and I, I saw when the console was coming out, I saw people joking about, you know, even developers are joking saying that you won't have time to read the loading screen tips because the console loads so quickly. Oh, whenever I was playing the Yakuza game, they're full of loading screen tips. And <laughs> and I would I would start to play and then one of them pop up and I'd be like speed reading it. I was like, okay, okay, okay. And then, <laughs> and then it would go to the game and I couldn't finish reading it. And so, of course, later in the game, you know, you'll be able to, you know, it'll, it'll take longer to load later in the game. And if you play something like Red Dead Redemption 2, your wait will be like, I don't know, like five minutes instead of 30 minutes maybe to load something but or fast travel. But um yeah, I think that's one of the biggest draws is the the load times. The resolution's 4K and, you know, 60 frames per second. And we'll get to those later, like whenever the developers can, you know, fully optimize their games and put them on there. That's fine. We can wait on those. So there's like no difference between 4K and what people are used to anyway. So, um, yeah, we can wait on those. That's okay. that's that's what's going to get the mad comments here, Tanner. That's what's going to bring them in. No, people that say there's a difference. I mean, when they show the two, two things side by side and they're like, here's normal, here's 4K, I'm like, that's the same picture. <laughs> y- y- y'all can't see any difference. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I mean, look, as someone they who, just took, <laughs> I agree. I completely agree. <laughs> they they put it in Photoshop and they ready? raised the brightness and they raised the contrast and they said, this is 4K. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> Is any of this stuff ever ready? Like by the time we like when it launches, like none of that stuff is ever ready. Is, is for Xbox things we're never one... gonna have a T four TV for until like two years? Right? Yeah, because I know someone was talking about eight K. I saw some like article like eight oh, K yeah. TVs. Like, dude, I haven't even gotten a four K yet. I don't four K TV yet. Because both consoles can reach up to eight K, but currently both consoles right now. Like a lot of games can't even run at 4K and 60 frames per second at the same time. You got to pick one or the other. So uh, I think a lot of that is because the developers that are making the games right now are kind of, they're having to plan for not only the PS5 and the Series X, but also for the PS4 and the Xbox One. They got to make it work on both generations, at least for a couple of months until they phase the uh, the old ones out. So, you know, maybe like next year, once we've phased out the Xbox one and they're like, all right, go, go get on the new console, go play the new one. Then yeah. we'll, we'll get some of those uh, optimizations. And keep in mind that like some of these high end optimizations, yes, these consoles are capable of them, but do you have a TV that is capable of like distinguishing that? Exactly. That's a, you know, not yeah. a given for everyone. Cause for, so, for gears, for gears five, for example, it says it'll play multiplayer at 120 frames per second, which sounds fantastic. Um, but, but it, it does specify you have to have a TV that could support that kind of refresh rate. And if you have a monitor, that's not going to be a big problem for a lot of people. But if you're like most people and you have your console hooked up to a TV, you might not be able to get that right away. So, you know, you'll get the console, but you might got to buy a new TV if you want to take advantage of the the features so so i have a question because because both of you because even though the ps5 does have like an actual like launch exclusive title like they're still not like neither one is like that big like no one like neither of these consoles have like 
full lineups. <laughs> like you can't, you know what I mean? Like this is not, this is like one of the sparsest generations that's like not multi-platform, right? So, yeah. I mean, is on the PS5 side, like is Miles Morales worth it to grab a PS5? And for the Xbox, what is the first title that's coming that is like exclusive to Xbox. Is it Halo or is there something else before that that's coming? That's no, like- Halo doesn't have a release date yet. They just said sometime in 2021. Um, so I, I don't know what the first game that's coming to the Xbox is. <laughs> I don't think anyone knows. Um, yeah, it's, it's so for the PS5 specifically, you know, you've got some PS4 versions of stuff kicking around as well. But like, you know, uh, our review for Miles Morales goes up, should be up by the time that this is airing. Jamie Lovett played it on the PS4. I played it on the PS5. And I don't know, like, just seeing, like, his reactions to the PS4 version, I don't know if I could go back. Like, it is absolutely gorgeous on the PS5. Uh, I'm probably going to put something up, you know, separate from Jamie's review being like, look, if you if you want to play this game and you want it to look the best it can, you're going to want to play it on PlayStation 5. Um, and, like, on top of that, you know, you've got Demon's Souls, uh, Astro's Playroom. <laughs> like there are other, you know, within PlayStation Worldwide Studios, there are other games that are just coming to PlayStation and not Xbox um, and are seemingly coming faster. Like we, we have stuff, we know of stuff that is exclusive to the um, PlayStation 5 as compared to the Xbox series consoles and like... Godfall I don't know. Is, is, is that right? Is that worth, you know, hundreds of dollars compared to just like playing the PS4 versions, especially in the middle of a pandemic? I don't know. That's going to be a question that I think everyone is going to have to answer for themselves. But yeah, I mean, if you're looking for like the, the latest and greatest, the, the newest stuff at the, the best, you know, looking it can be, you probably want a PlayStation 5. If you're looking at, you know, just all of the stuff you already own looking better than it ever did. Probably the Xbox series X. And on top of that, if, if you're in one of these ecosystems or the other, that's like a, a gimme, right? Like obviously myself yeah. and Tanner are outliers. Not everyone owns like all of these things or covers these things religiously. It's, it's very much going to be a question of, okay, do you want to pay that higher price and get like those next gen exclusives? Okay. PSI. Are you wanting to like, have all of the stuff you already love, you know, Warzone, whatever, playing, looking pretty good, like probably Xbox. Like you don't necessarily need those next-gen games. And it's very much a different sort of strategy here from PlayStation and Microsoft, which is, I think, probably the most interesting story about this whole thing is that they're they're making very different pitches for very different people. Mm -hmm. For a community-based or like multiplayer base gamers which system is going to be the best experience hmm. a lot uh, of this stuff has cross progression and cross play um so it's going to be game by game but like i don't i don't know i don't know if there's an answer to that both will serve you fine the xbox is cheaper well like, i'm asking because i actually bought and i think we talked about this matt and i have waited like i bought i went back from xbox 360 to ps4 because i was more inclined to be playing solo games um, that were like exclusive more than the uh, Xbox live kind of community experience has PlayStation five changed that interface enough to kind of make it better or better competitor for the Xbox kind of online experience or is Xbox kind of still leading the way in that? 
I mean, I'm sure Tanner can talk about this a little bit from the Xbox side of it, but with this being pre-release, pre-launch, I don't know. I have no idea. Couldn't possibly tell you. Um, I think that their Xbox has gone a long way to sort of making it easier to sort of um, build that community, I think, rather than PlayStation. And PlayStation seems to be trying to make up ground with, you know, updates to their mobile app and groups and parties and all this sort of stuff that's been overhauled before the PlayStation 5 comes out. But until it's in action, I don't know. Couldn't tell you. I think yeah. for the I think for the long run, like it, at least for like the first year or so, I think if you're looking for like a more of a multiplayer community, you know, to stick with your friends, I think the Xbox is probably the safer bet. Um, if for nothing else, I know it sounds like keep on going back to it, but if nothing else, because of the Game Pass, because the Game Pass is going to be extended on the Xbox One and the Series X. So if you have a friend who hasn't upgraded to you know the the new console yet then they can still play that game on the xbox one while you're playing the series x and that's true for the ps4 and the ps5 for the most part but playstation or sony rather has seemed like they've been much more adamant about getting people onto the ps5 sooner rather than later with you know the exclusive like demons i think what miles morales is coming to ps4 but like demon souls and godfall is not they aren't coming to PS4. So they're more like, all right, let's get you on this thing. And Xbox just said that for at least the foreseeable future, games are going to release on the Xbox One and um, and the Series X. And if it comes to one of those, it's also coming to the Windows you know, PC, definitely. So they have the much, they have more platforms available for their community that can support different people. So uh, maybe first year or so, Xbox definitely, I, it's going to be, you know, it's the beginning of a generation. So it's going to be a while before we figure all that out. But, um, right now, I'd say the Xbox has Tanner that. makes a good point, though, because, like, I feel like, especially with people going cross-platform more and more now, especially with, like, multiplayer games, of course, PlayStation seems to be the one outlier that's, like, aside from being pressured by giant <laughs> companies, they're like, nope, we don't want to play with everybody else. So, like, you can play with people, like, between PS5 or PS4, but, like, to get someone – I don't know how many games I've had someone ask me, like, oh, is it cross-platform? And I'm like, yeah, if you're on an Xbox because then you can play with PC. <laughs> and then you can – there's one game you can play with Switch. And there, there's, like, a game where you can, like, cross with Switch. And Sony's like, nope, <laughs> we're going to stay over here. We're not going to play with everybody else. And, like, everybody has to, like, mount a campaign to get them to open up the gate, so to speak, even though yeah. it's, like, a button. It's like it's they, been proven that it's not. Yeah. Hard. <laughs> people, people, what Fortnite? Fortnite or someone else like accidentally turn it on all the time. They're yes, like, "Whoops, crossplay is on." <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Apex yeah. was the last big one to do it, and so yeah, it's it's being more popular now. Just it'll take a minute. Final question, and we're gonna move on. Any major? Ever since I lived through the relaunch of the Xbox 360, I'm always nervous. Are there any major hardware bugs? <laughs> anything that have come to light quite yet? Mm, I'm trying to think. I know the quick resume feature. The, the Xbox has a quick resume feature that can like save. It, it kind of like saves the states of like up to like five games to where I can go from, um, like I, I could go from Apex Legends to Minecraft Dungeons. I did that, and it takes less than six seconds to drop you right back into the game. But like there had a there was a pre-launch issue where it didn't work with like every single game, um, and they said it's going to be cleared up at launch. Uh, I don't know. Hopefully that's true. And it's going to be working for everyone, but um, there's no big, no, no crashes, nothing like that. If there was ever a crash, it was because it was a game that wasn't out yet. Not because of the console itself. Yeah. For, right. for the PS five, 
I mean, had some usual like pre-release uh, glitches, like quests that wouldn't complete, and so I had to reload of like miles. But like, other than some pretty understandable, like oh, this this messed up, I need to reboot uh, the software. I haven't had any trouble at all with the PlayStation Five. The biggest like takeaway I had of like I don't know how impactful this is going to be is for accessibility reasons, the DualSense controller cannot be like a requirement for things um, because you have to be able to like fine tune it or turn it off. Um, so like, I don't know how, you know, basically it remains to be seen if it's going to be gimmicky or if it's going to be like, feel like a truly baked in feature. Um, that, that's really the only thing I encountered. All right, cool. Sounds like it's all you're basically I'm asking because it sounds like you're a go. Uh, the Xbox 360 experience made me learn to wait for uh, version 2.0 of any new <laughs> console gen before I start buying it so I don't get those red rings of death. But um, sounds like we're a go. All right. Those are our reviews of the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. You can check out comicbook.com gaming, which is basically going to be a showcase for this stuff for the foreseeable future. Uh, yeah, these guys are going to be busy. So check out any answers you need about you know, the features, what's going on, the games, all, everything we'll be covering. So check that out, comicbook.com gaming. All right, moving on from gaming, we're going to do a quick check-in because, uh, man, I'm going to give you some more time to go over the wrestling stuff. But uh, let's do a quick check-in with what's going on over in Marvel Comics. We'll check in with uh, Ten of Swords. So this weekend, after the big midpoint chapter of Ten of Swords, which was uh, Ten of Swords stasis, we met, you know, we got to meet the sword bearers of Araco and who they are and, you know, who will be fighting, you know, the X-Men in this big tournament and other world. Well, that ended on the big cliffhanger of Apocalypse finding out that the leaders of the armies of Araco and Ameth, uh, Annihilation, is actually his wife, Genesis. And that's something we all saw coming. I don't think anybody has been confused about that since we started seeing preview images of this. But in X-Men 13, we actually get the long-awaited, well, you know, since this thing began, long-awaited backstory of what happened to Genesis, the original Horseman, and the rest of Apocalypse's uh, X-Men BC, basically, when they went through the rift into Ameth to fight this war and had to seal it behind them uh, and seal Araco off in, behind them. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was a kind of a good story. And I, I mean, I was a fan. I said, I liked Egg, 10 of swords stasis because I liked the villain portions of the story. Jim was very much against that. Uh, he thought those were boring and stupid. He likes all the X-Men parts, but I, I like that Hickman is building a set of villains who aren't just arch, but you know, just faceless demon horde from demon land that there is an entire world and an entire history and an entire kind of politics between these people. Uh, and this was a pivotal chapter chapter to do kind of defining why and like what happened. And for me, it added new levels of intrigue, both just seeing apocalypse deal with his wife and interact with her, but uh, just learning kind of the history, which, they're doing this thing where they give you answers that lead to more mysteries, <laughs> which I love. Um, I'm a sucker for that kind of thing, but you got more sketches of, of like who Iska, the unbeaten, the white sword Genesis slash annihilation is. And um, I appreciated that. And I'm kind of looking forward to that. Then of course we had a little more fun over in Marauders so where it was a party. 
Yeah, before they have this big, we got a Game and Sto- a Game of Thrones style feast. Jim would really hate this issue. <laughs> I feel like Jim hates fun in comics. Um, like yeah, but uh, before we get to this whole sword fight between these two worlds, uh, Lady Saturnine had a Game of Thrones style feast, uh, which was, I love, and I loved it, and I love it that it was Marauders that did this because it was very Maraudery, mm-hmm. uh, the tone of this whole thing which is just be saying like, yeah, tomorrow's going to be all kinds of horrific bloodshed and death, but let's eat some great food tonight. Like, and, <laughs> and they even did like a whole game of Thrones style, like, you know, menu list of all these fine things they're eating from across uh, other world. And I, it's, if you've ever been in writing school, the first, you know, one of the things you learn is it's one of the hardest things ever to write is a party scene um, because a party scene has to, look like a bunch of people casually doing leisurely stuff, but also carry like massive subtext to it. Um, and that's what this party scene did very well. There was just kind of a lot of foreshadowing and subtext and setup for what's going to go down in this tournament. And it seems more and more like that it is kind of a weird, I was trying to think of uh, what other popular kind of series does this, but it is going to be more like kind of a hunger game style thing where they're just dropped on this big, place or yeah. in these different places and they have to kind of complete not just a sword fight but like some kind of weird challenges or obstacles or something um we're kind of getting these kind of inferences or there maybe they have to just kind of kill each other across these terrains or i don't know but uh it was interesting party scene because we got to learn a lot of the motivations of the characters and it was great to watch just the x-men team sizing up this other team of evildoers and getting more personality than and more fun personality in a fun way of these sword bearers of Araco, like Pog or Pog, who's quickly becoming like it's amazing. Just one of my favorite characters. Great character. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And just seeing how they kind of in, interact and like my favorite scene is just the scene with um, Gorgon and Gorgon yeah. and magic, two characters you don't think you would ever see together in an X-Men page. And then having this weird kind of thing with Iska the unbeaten uh, testing out, like just to find out which hand she favors and that whole thing with the wine glasses and like, can we get those two in a book by themselves, please? Like I would, I would read magic. That. Yes. Magic yeah. and Gorgon just please. Cause like all of that stuff, you think she's right-handed. Oh, he's right-handed. He's left-handed. Like he does this like, Oh my God, so many great things in that. Yeah. Those two were great. And like, yeah. And even storms like crazy, like overly elaborate dance scene with death under the ocean and all that. That stuff. should be completely stupid. Yeah, and I loved it. I mean, they literally have an underwater dance thing, and I was like, I bought in. I was like, oh, okay, well, by just, the end of it, I, I was kind of like, oh lord, on the visuals, but it's a great <laughs> storm scene, and just like yeah. what she says to him, and that whole stuff is is like, because storm isn't shook, like, and it's a good reminder that storm doesn't get shook. So like, it was great. Um, but yeah, this has been. I don't know. Eventually we're getting to an actual sword fight and, and things happening in this story and action uh, is coming, but I've loved the buildup. So I'm, I'm not hating uh, compared to empire, which tried to be like surprise action, action, action when totally sucked. Um, I, I'm liking the actual story and I'm going to write a feature about how surprising it is that Hickman's X-Men really does work well in a fan as a fantasy genre mashup. Um, I'm, I'm like just increasingly surprised how well I'm enjoying like all this crazy because it was like very tech heavy and yeah. sciencey with religious overtones but like now we're just in a crazy stupid fantasy world and with like Faye and you know 
crazy crooked market guys and stuff. That was awesome. I was so yeah. like, where, where did that come? Like, I just love some of those interactions in here. Also, who knew? Uh, it was nice to see like Deep Logan again. It was, oh, it was yeah. actually nice to see that because like sometimes, even during like House of X, like sometimes like, you know, it depends on who's writing him. Logan could come across as like a complete just like point me in a direction I'll slaughter things and the other times he's more thoughtful and and there's a there's a right balance in there and this was actually nice to see in here yeah yeah and uh spoilers spoilers yeah Wolverine and they did it in a very good way because you know there's going to be some kind of tension they set it up in a very kind of Hitchcockian way where Storm and Wolverine say to each other like she says I know what you're gonna do like don't miss and you're like wait what <laughs> and then of course throughout the whole party and the issue it builds up to uh him trying to kill Lady Saturn, which of course we already know. This is comics, but it, that's not going to work. And it's probably not going to bode well for Logan in this tournament that he just tried. To but it's a good try. If yeah, you're going to try, stab someone through the chest twice with both claws. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, make it in the middle of a good speech too. Like, yeah, wow, that was a good speech. Yeah, <laughs> you know, boom. But um, yeah, still enjoying Ten of Swords. I never knew what I was going to get. I still don't know what I'm going to get with this, but it, it's been a fun journey. So, Definitely. hey, I'm still there. Uh, let's hop over to Avengers 38 where we're getting to, and I want to talk about this because I feel like this is not coincidental that Marvel is starting to do this thing where they're positioning Mephisto as like the big bad of things. And I feel like I'm beginning to wonder if this is going to have any coalition with us getting like full fledged Mephisto possibly in larger venues like the MCU, but that's neither here nor there. Let's just stick with what we're talking about here. So, yeah, because because Aaron has been since the very opening arc of this book has been building Mephisto. Yeah, and that's just it's just been sitting on the back burner. So you cannot accuse him of shoehorning him in. This has literally <laughs> been building this long. It's it's kind of ridiculous, but yeah, yeah. So like yeah, they're like. Yeah, Marvel's gone for like a lot of these long game villain payoffs that are that are kind of coming around. There's just stuff happening in Spider-Man with that whole thing. Um, and now this. And like you said, he's been building Mephisto and who's been revealed to be, you know, a devil, but like a devil operating on an omniverse kind of plane, like a chess game across all space, time, different realities, different versions of Mephisto, trying to bring about this hell on earth stuff to kind of, you know, happen and kind of getting trounced and that was what the moon knight story arc age of Contru was all about was moon knight trying to amass this kind of mystical spiritual power under Contru's direction in order to stop and defeat mephisto which he seemingly killed him but of course we know mephisto is not really dead not all versions of mephisto and so this book is about the avengers after age of Contru. kind of the dust is settled you know has settled they're kind of Dusted themselves off with Contra taking over the world and that small thing um, and kind of figuring out what's going on with Mephisto and this whole thing and the, the war that's coming their way, or as Tony says, like the war they're already losing, <laughs> you know, because they're kind of just becoming aware of it late. And we get to, it's called, I forget, I think it's called like the fly that laid like a thousand maggots. Is the yeah, story. it's weird. Yeah. But <laughs> what we get I mean, it is, makes sense, yeah. but yeah, it's weird story. And what it does is it's almost like a weird kind of retcon of Marvel history that should show that, like, again, that Mephisto has been this big bad all along. And, you know, he's constantly been trying to influence things or get people to make these deals with him and to kind of steer 
the Marvel Universe with the purpose of trying to kind of get Earth, but ironically, Earth basically produces these threats because of the Celestials, the superpowered beings that can defeat Mephisto. Um, but uh, yeah, we go through all these time jumps and visions of different ages of Avengers, including a future Avengers team and all this stuff. Uh, but the, the end of it is he has a new ally in present day, which is the resurrected Howard Stark. And yeah, that Howard Stark is helping him kind of gain what he needs for a, another resurrection. So what was kind of good and interesting, and I like Jason Aaron's writing in this book, is he kind of frames the Howard Stark thing as this tale of this family that made a deal with Mephisto in the past. And it's a pretty horrific story, <laughs> like horror story about like, and, and makes Mephisto a much more compelling villain in some ways in my opinion, because yeah, it's just, Mephisto, it's creepy. Like, Mephisto's really cheesy in typical Marvel stories. He's just always the guy like, hey, you want to make a deal with me? Like, yeah, this is going to work out well for you. And you're like, I don't feel like this is going to work <laughs> when out. When did he come? <laughs> Quick, when we need to deal with the devil. When, when did Mephisto come from Jersey? <laughs> I feel like based on his like mulleted look, like he always came from Jersey. Oh, and Jersey, Pennsylvania is where the hell mouth is. If you know anything about geography. <laughs> oh, you know that's enough. I'm from there. I know. Um, so, yeah, but this was a good, creepy kind of expression of why Mephisto's dangerous. Because this guy made a, a deal with him when his family was starving on some uh, organ wagon type deal. And he says, yes, your family can survive, but you just got to pay, you know, tribute for that. And so his tribute is to slaughter and eat his current family so that he can go on to make many more babies across the future. And so he slaughters his wife and kid and eats them and, and he becomes a rich, powerful man who has many, many children after that. Uh, but they all have to eventually Mephisto begins to come to them every so often. And they all have to give up either like a firstborn or fingers from all the family members and stuff like that, that he collects. And it's about, it's a framework for showing you what kind how terrible these deals with him are because to say that Howard Stark has made some kind of deal with him. And this is why Howard Stark is back kicking around. And we, there's going to be some terrible price, I'm sure, that comes out of this. Not just for Howard, but probably for Tony, too. And uh, we don't know what that is yet. But uh, let's talk about the real highlight of this issue, Matt, which is a conversation between Moon Knight and Black Panther yes. after they just rumbled. And, yeah. That's Moon the, Knight and Marvel trolled, Marvel trolled fans hard on this one. I feel like this was a trolling of deep-cut proportions. Because if you know your Moon Knight history, Moon Knight has been on a lot of teams and affiliated. But uh, in my digging, I tried to make sure, because I don't want Marvel stands killing me for this. Moon Knight has never been an official, full-fledged, regular, primary team Avenger, correct? He's like, only, the closest he has West gotten Coast, is the Secret, Secret, Avengers. Is Secret yeah. Avengers, which was a official team, but not the, like, in the limelight you still got an asterisk if you're still claiming that. You're not an Well, I mean, Captain America's on that team. You if Captain America's on an Avengers team, that's a yeah. legit Avengers team. But, but again, like he wasn't in the he wasn't in like the limelight spot. That's like saying you're on an NFC championship team, but you never have a Super Bowl ring. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, okay. Good. The best Good part of this rate. was actually so that was yes, you are correct. Because they they very much teased that. Of but uh, until Moon Knight, and I have to finish. Yeah, so they teased that he was going to get offered to finally join the team, and Moon Knight stuffs them and says, "Yeah, f you." Exactly as it should be, by the way. Yes, yeah. I don't want to be in your stupid team. Uh, best part of that was actually the fact that uh, Ed McGinnis draws an amazing 
freaking Moon Knight. I, I will I will pay money to see Ed McGinnis draw pretty much anything. But Moon Knight was gorgeous. It is disconcerting to also see Ed McGinnis draw creepy, like, cut-off fingers. And in a, it's in with his style, it, I feel like it actually makes it creepier to watch, like, all this kind of gory, bloody, creepy stuff. It, it's a weird juxtaposition. But, I mean, it's still good. McGinnis is great. But, yeah, no, definitely. All right. So, we're going to see where this war of Mephi- with Mephisto, go- Mephisto goes in the upcoming issues of Avengers. Take a look at that if you haven't been checking in. Some interesting things happening over there. All right, Matt, this is your show to finish. you got to tell us what's going on with AEW's pre-pay-per-view event, and we're going to do a rundown, so you got to give us what we should be knowing a quick little tidbit about. Cool. So, yeah, I'll make this uh, kind of quick, because the good news is it's a, uh, it's a packed card for AEW Full Gear this weekend. So we have a big tag match between the Young Bucks and FTR. There's actually several championship matches on the card. Uh, that's probably going to be one of the early matches. And if you're looking for a match that is just fast-paced, uh, crazy spots and want to see like what that has to offer. That is probably going to be the match you're looking forward to most. Um, we also have Hangman Page versus Kenny Omega, which has been like we're talking about slow building stories. AEW has actually done that with this wrestling story of like these two being on a tag team together, and then there's things like that split them up eventually, and now they're like coming together after this huge tournament. It's actually like an arcing wrestling story and it's going to be probably one of the better matches just in general but also a bigger payoff for fans of the storyline uh we also have one of the biggest things of the night well actually let me touch on this first john moxley versus eddie kingston uh, is going to be the main event that should be very good um and then would hopefully lead to moxley taking on omega if omega wins at like the next pay-per-view and that could be amazing uh because the last time those two Fought. I don't know if you remember, but uh, there was a very bloody, brutal uh, match between those two that involved like a bunch of barbed wire, uh, tacks, like a bunch of stuff like that, a lot of blood. And uh, we could get another one of those type of matches if everything goes that way. One of the biggest things of the night, though, is that uh, there's been a bunch of rumors around and AEW has teased it too, that uh, there's going to be a surprise appearance during the pay-per-view. Many people think it's Sting who it doesn't get much more iconic than Sting because his WWE contract came to an end, we think, a few months ago. His merch is off their store. He's a free agent. Uh, he will not be in a match because I forget how old Sting is, but like he couldn't even do another match in WWE because he got injured and he was already older. So he's probably not going to do a match in there, but being able – and Connor actually pitched this, and I kind of hope it happens now. Darby Allen uh, is in a match uh, on during full gear with Cody Rhodes. And, and could take end up taking his TNT champion. Being up here and like do some kind of like passing the torch type of thing or like some mentor thing with Darby, who is kind of the same kind of rebel-ish presence that Sting was, especially back in his WCW days, could be really cool. Uh, I'm a big Sting fan. I love uh, almost anything from WCW era. So I'm hoping it happens. Um, we have fingers crossed that that actually turns out. I think it'll end up a lot of people will be disappointed if he doesn't show up. Um, and then we've got a couple other uh, matches on the card. We have a women's championship match, which we think might be the spot where the belt gets passed. Um, and and there's a it's a nice card all around. And uh, there's not any WWE pay-per-views. This is going to have the spotlight all to itself. So if you are looking for 
for some really good wrestling and some really great opportunities. There's also a Jericho MJF match uh, for him to maybe be in the inner circle. Some people are a little split. I know Jim was a little split on the whole like musical number thing that they did uh, a couple weeks ago. I don't, I don't know if we're going to get that kind of thing. We're probably just going to get a straight up a wrestling match between them, uh, but it should be interesting. So it's a packed show. So if you want to check out something, definitely tune in for that. Uh, so yeah, let's head into the rundown real quick. Just some things we talked about, the two kind of bigger comics this week. I do want to shout out Black Widow number three, uh, Elena Casagrande's art. I, I did plug it last time too, but good God, it's gorgeous. <laughs> so it's just, this book is a knockout. There's some action scenes in here that are just like quintessential widow scenes. And it's, it's just awesome. I, this run has been really surprising. Kelly Thompson uh, has knocked this out of the park with a really intriguing mystery. Elena was in it, popped up in it. And that was like a cool uh, surprise. I mean, you kind of, you were looking for it, but it, it paid off in the right way. So that's one to check out. Uh, we also have Captain Marvel number 23, which this actually pulls from Captain Marvel The End, which was like this alternate version of earth where it's like this dystopian thing and like captain marvel helped reignite the sun it has all these like legacy characters all these kids of heroes that we know and love well because of some shenanigans some time and universe shenanigans they've pulled all these characters back into this current run and you have like danny cage obviously the child of luke cage you have uh let's see here i've got a couple listed down irene lebeau uh, the child of Gambit and Rogue. You have Bridget, who is Thor's daughter. You have uh, Negasonic makes a makes an appearance here. Uh, also, can we uh, highlight Jeff the Shark, who is a wonderful part of Deadpool, is alive and well, and he's got like a patch over his eyes. It's amazing. There's, there's so much like fun, really cool like Marvel character stuff in this. It's really worth checking out, even if you're not a Captain Marvel fan. There's just some really fun stuff with the universe. Uh, last but not least, I will shout out Mighty Morphin number one, which was the first part of the relaunch series. Power Rangers number one hits next week. Uh, Mighty Morphin number one dipped into like uh, Zordon's past and history, brought us some really cool stuff from, from that that we've not really explored before. And gorgeous art with the new Green Ranger. So if you've been waiting to jump on that bandwagon, this week and next week are probably the best spots for you to do that. Uh, we also have, we were talking about the PS5. Uh, one thing is the PS5 launch has been announced to be online only. Uh, so Sony does not want you to go standing outside of stores and long lines and all that. That will not be happening this launch, at least from Sony's side. So I know Walmart has already put up their times for when they will have different slots where you can uh, order the console. But that is going to be launched. It's all going to be from home, at least on Sony's side. So that is something to keep track of. Uh, also, Marvel United, which is a really uh, great game from Simon and Spin Master Games, uh, teased in the new trailer that they will have an X-Men expansion coming in 2021. I am stoked. I feel like, I don't know who's the, if you could have anyone from Ten of Swords or House of X pop up in a game, who would it be, Kofi? Ooh, House of X, anybody, huh? Rasputin. Ooh, good one. Okay, so fingers crossed. Hopefully that happens. I would be uh, Kate Pride, Red Queen. Kate Pride. Oh, I love her too. Right? Yeah, so I'm, I'm open for that. Uh, and then last but not least, we'll dip into some uh, just some teases. Uh, we will have more to talk about in uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla next week. Uh, so definitely make sure to tune into the podcast for that. We also have, we'll have a, a Bianca Belair uh, interview going live on the site when you hear this uh, to tease tonight's SmackDown. So definitely keep your eyes on comicbook.com. And that is the rundown. All right. Thank you, Matt. 
That'll do it for this episode of Comic Book Nation. We want to thank you guys for tuning in. And as always, we put up new episodes every Wednesday and Friday on comicbook.com where you can listen there. Or you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. You can tell any of your smart home devices to fire up Comic Book Nation podcast and they'll start playing it for you. Or if you want to watch the show, we put up episodes live on Facebook every Wednesday and Friday. If you miss the live show, you can always go to the Comic Book Nation YouTube page and watch episodes there. If you want to talk to us, drop topics for the show, react to anything you said, we are always over at the Comic Book Nation Twitter page or on the Comic Book Nation hashtag. If you want to reach out to us individually, you can find me at Kofi Outlaw. You can find me at Matt Aguilar CB. You can find me at Rollin Bishop. You can find me at Tanner Deadman. All right. We want to thank you guys for listening in. As always, hopefully we've helped you at least make one big decision we got to make in this country this week. Hopefully you'll have some fun going out, getting a nice little upswing for your 2020 if you're going for a next-gen console. Have fun and be sure to stay checked in with Comic Book Nation as we provide many needed distractions in the coming weeks and holiday season. So we'll see you guys next time. Peace. Deuces. 